Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. So what was life like before you had kids, Dad? Definitely cheaper. Um, <laughs> what was it like on your first Father's Day? Kind of neat. I'm so used to calling my dad and wishing him Father's Day and not really used to getting a happy Father's Day to me. So it was, it was pretty neat and uh, exciting. Was I your favorite child? You were definitely my favorite for the first while until the other five were born. <laughs> One aspect where you were my favorite was that uh, I would always tell your mother, I will take care of the baby because you were a real cuddler. So I'd pick you up, I would sit in the recliner, put the football game on, and you would sleep on my chest. And I was taking care of the baby. So of the five of us, who was the most trouble for you? Hands down, I'd say Gabe. <laughs> yes, not me! He was the one who would take a steak knife and try and stick it in an electrical outlet. I remember that. He was the one that pulled your mother's curling iron down on his arm. He probably still has that scar from where he burned himself by pulling it I remember that too. So what are some memories of your dad that you remember growing up? After dinner was daddy time because that's when you got home. And I remember having so much fun playing with dinosaurs in the bathtub with you because you were always, you were the silly dinosaur that always like fell in the water and everything. It was so funny and we would laugh so hard. So what's the best part of being a dad? I get to spend time with all of you guys and just being able to love on you and teach you the limited things that I know. <laughs> and, You've uh, taught me so much. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think I turned out okay? You turned out fantastic. I couldn't have asked for a better daughter. Thank you. I love you, Daddy. Thank you for being my hero. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, G-Bear. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Center Street. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're at one of our other campuses at Bridgeland, Airdrie, South Campus, or in the Northwest Crowfoot Theaters, or if you're watching online, welcome to Center Street. Welcome from Calgary, wherever you are in the world. We are thrilled that you are with us today to worship the Lord. It's Father's Day. Did you remember? I have a confession. I was bustling around this morning, getting ready to come, and I was just gonna let my husband sleep. And then I realized I was actually running a little bit late, so I woke him up and said, Han, Han, would you mind ironing my dress? So dutifully got up, he ironed my dress, and I got here on time, and I forgot to wish him Happy Father's Day. Man, have I got some makeup to do when I get home today. Not my makeup, I mean makeup with him. So hopefully you will have uh, honored someone today, someone who is your hero, as Gina said in the video. Um, take the time to do that. I know for many of us, our fathers have passed away. And my dad has been gone for 20 years now. Man, that's hard, hard to believe. But a day like today, we still can remember, we can think about the impact he's had on, uh, he had on our lives, the lives of our family. So find somebody who is a hero to you and say thank you today to them. Well, when Pen Henry, Pastor Henry asked me if I would give the message this weekend, I have to admit, I had a bit of trepidation. Oh man, it's Father's Day. 
And when I thought about the difference between Mother's Day sermons and Father's Day sermons, they typically go something like this. Mother's Day sermons were like, oh, Mom, you're so wonderful. Thank you for loving us, for nurturing, for caring for us. You're so sweet. And we give them roses and, you know, a big pat on the back. And then what happens on Father's Day? Buck up, Dad. This is what you need to do. We need, you need to improve. Okay, that's maybe a bit extreme, but it often is that way, isn't it? Well, there is going to be some challenge in today's message, but the challenge is going to be for both men and women. But I also hope that you feel encouraged and hope that comes from God's word today as we hear truth. We're going to look at the life of an Old Testament hero. Now, the title of a hero is not one that I gave him. God called him a hero. Can you imagine God calling you a hero? Wow. And the hero of the day is Gideon. Now, Gideon was a mighty warrior, but we're actually going to look at the part of Gideon's life that directly impacted his family. There's parts of his story that recounts him as a son, as a father and a husband, the provider of the family, and also as a grandfather. In these passages, the story is taken from Judges 6, 7, and 8, and I would encourage you to read that this week. Soak in it. See, there's so much more than what we're going to be able to cover today in this short message. So go home and use that as a bit of homework this week to look into the life of Gideon. But throughout that passage, Gideon's heroic actions significantly impact impacted his family and ultimately his community and the nation of Israel. Now I'm going to go out on a limb today and say that most of us would consider ourselves pretty ordinary. We're just kind of normal people. Now, um, you know, as far as I know, there's no presidents or prime ministers watching this. Mind you, Justin or Donald, if you're online, stay tuned. This is for you too as well. But a lot of us would just consider us very average. We're an average student. We have pretty normal friends. We're part of a pretty average family. And you know what? Maybe we just get average. Yeah, those are your average normal friends, by the way. <laughs> or average family. Maybe that's your picture from the 80s, your family picture. We're all pretty normal. And maybe you even get normal gifts like this, guys. It's when you can't choose between a tie and a tool. My point is that as men and women, we're all pretty normal. We're just ordinary, common human beings. If we had to pick up a name tag when we came in here today, I doubt any, or not many of us anyways, would feel like we could pick up the hero name tag. That's the way it was with Gideon. You see, Gideon gives us the lineage of, pardon me, Scripture gives us the lineage of Gideon. He was a son of Joash, of the clan of Abiezer, from the tribe of Manasseh. He doesn't come from royal lineage. He has no long list of military credits to his name. He wasn't a great warrior at this stage. He described himself as the weakest clan in the tribe of Manasseh, and he's the least in his entire family. Anybody else feel that way? Pretty ordinary. So if we're going to talk about Gideon, the ordinary guy, and we're going to call him a hero, what happened? How did Gideon go from being this ordinary man to being known as a hero? What did God do in him that would have him do something through him that was so significant that he would actually end up in the who's who list of Hebrews 11? What happened? Well, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray together. 
as has become kind of the ordinary thing we do here at Center Street, is at the end of the service, we extend our hands and ask God to speak to us. What do you want to say to me and what do you want me to do about it? Well, we're actually going to do that now. Because my prayer is that we will have open hearts. We will be receptive to what he wants to say to us throughout the service. So if you will just stand, pray with me. Extend your hands, please. Lord, I ask that your spirit would not only flood this room and the rooms where every person is listening. And I ask that your spirit would move freely amongst us today, that our hearts would be responsive to what you want us to say, what you want to say to each one of us individually. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our present situations. You created us. You know us and you love us beyond what we can even comprehend. And in the presence of your perfect love, Lord, may we be open and responsive to your truth. Show us what it means for us to become a hero. Not for our glory, Lord, but entirely for your glory and for the benefit of those around us. You have plans for us, and may they be revealed to us today. Strengthen our faith to receive them, that we may walk in courage and your strength to live out your calling on our life. We commit these few minutes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's jump into the story. We're going to come in at verse 12 of Judges chapter 6 when it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, let me just highlight that depending on the biblical translation that you use, mighty hero might be translated as brave man, a mighty man of valor, a valiant warrior, or a mighty hero. Now, you might surmise from this greeting that the angel of the Lord, when he came to Gideon, that was because Gideon was already a hero. That's not the case. Israel was a people under siege. Their enemies, the Midianites, had been terrorizing the people of the Lord for seven years. This is what it says in those first six verses of Judges, where it kind of sets the stage for what's happening. It says this, The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, raiders would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their tents and livestock, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. That's the cultural setting. That's what's happening. The place is void of heroes, people cowering, fearful, oppressed, starving. Where are all the heroes in that situation? Well, what's Gideon doing? When the angel of the Lord visits him, we find Gideon hiding out in the wine press, threshing grain. Anything abnormal about that? Well, on the left is a picture of a a threshing floor. It's a large cement pad out in the open where they would use oxen usually to to thresh the grain out of the straw. It'd be dusty, but you always did it out in the open. And on the right is a wine press, a small cave or cement hole where you would step on grapes. Quite the difference. Not usually interchangeable, but Gideon was in the wine press because he knew if he went out onto the threshing floor, 
he'd be killed. Now, we've heard lots of, of um, or I've certainly heard lots of messages about Gideon who portray Gideon that because he was in the wine press, he was actually a coward. Hmm. I don't agree with that. You know why I don't agree with that? Because I think Gideon was doing actually something very brave and courageous. He was actually in training as a hero by providing for his family. Sometimes we miss the significance of the ordinary. We miss the fact that somebody does something very ordinary for us, but that can actually be risky for them. It can cost them something in the midst of it. You know, in Scripture, so many times we're told to care for the widows and the orphans around us. Look at James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. 1 Timothy 5.8 actually gives us a very direct warning when it says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So if we flip that warning into an encouragement, I would say it says that, if we are, that when we are caring for our relatives, especially those in our household, just like Gideon was, we're living out our faith. Gideon was actually a hero because he was taking care of his faith. And we are called to live up to that as well. And I've been very intentional to use the word we because I don't believe that this is just a message for men. It's a message for men and women. We, men and women, need to live up to this directive to care for our families and extend that love to orphans and widows amongst us. But that said, this is Father's Day, and I actually want to honor men, and I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for the ordinary things you do to take care of your family. Thank you for getting up at the wee hours in the morning and going to work. Thank you for riding transit or fighting traffic on Deerfoot so that you can provide for your family. Thank you for, some of you have to travel. You have to be away from home. That's not fun. The glamour of that wears off really quickly, doesn't it? Thank you for taking care of those people that God has brought around you. Thank you to the young men. You may not have families yet, but you're working hard, developing skill, going to university so that you will be ready to provide for a family when you're given that one. Thank you to the grandpas who have given us a heritage of hard work. My grandpas were pioneers here in this land. They worked hard. They're part of why this Canada, our Canada is so great. My father-in-law was a World War II veteran, and we still have some amongst us. Thank you. Thank you for being heroes, simply because you cared and you provided. And I'm going to take a moment away from the story of Gideon, just for a second, to talk about kind of that proverbial elephant in the room on Father's Day. I know there's some of you, probably too many of us, who maybe never knew our dads. Maybe you knew him, but he wasn't a very good influence, or some of his actions wounded you very, very deeply. I'm so sorry. No son or daughter should have to experience abandonment, abuse, or neglect. 
from either a mother or a father. I encourage you to allow God to heal those wounds, to bind up your brokenhearted, to heal the wounds caused by our fathers, caused by our mothers. And don't allow the deficiencies of your parents to hold you back. Allow God to heal you and free you so that you can be all that you were created to be. Don't allow the pain from your past to hold you back from becoming a hero today or tomorrow. So back to our question. What does God do in Gideon before he uses him to free his people? Well, the first point, and probably the most essential factor in being known as a hero, is that heroes learn to trust and to respond to God's initiative. Look at these exchanges between the angel of the Lord and Gideon. The Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Gideon responds, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us back to Midianites. Have you ever said something like that back to God? I have. I've argued with him. And then the Lord says, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Enter Gideon. How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord says, I will be with you. I will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Wow, look at the three promises that God gives to Gideon. I am with you. That's present tense. That is right now, at this very second, I am with you. Second promise, I am sending you. Who else has God sent? All throughout scripture, God has sent people. He said to Abraham, go to the land I will show you. Moses, go to Pharaoh, to the disciples. Go and make disciples. We're sent people. He's told us to go. And then the third promise, which gives us the courage to do this, is I will be with you. I will be with you. I love the Lord's empowerment of Gideon. Wow, I will be with you. And along, so along with the directive to go, God tells him to go in the strength that he has. How much strength did Gideon have? Well, what God is really saying to him is, you have what it's going to take. And it's not because you're so wonderful. You have what it's going to take because I'm sending you and I'm going with you. Wow, what a promise. You know, there's such a similarity in this passage to what happened just in the, the end of Deuteronomy, two books before, you know, a few generations before Gideon, when Moses is handing the baton off to Joshua to go into the promised land. And this is what Moses says to Joshua on behalf of God. So be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally, <laughs> he's not just sending an angel, he's personally going ahead of you and he will never fail you and he will never abandon you. What an incredible promise. Do you see that connection between what God promised Moses and Joshua 
and what he promised Gideon? Do you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? If you do, then that promise applies to you and it applies to me as well. He's called us to be heroes, and he said, I'm with you right now, and I'm sending you, and I'm going to personally be with you. Gideon is learning to trust God's voice and God's leading and that God will do what he says he's going to do. God says, I'm going to be with you, and he does that. You know, I see myself so clearly in some aspects of Gideon's story where he, he doubts God and he doubts that he heard the message right. But may it be our hearts cry that our faith would be strengthened. You know, faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. And the first place that Gideon's muscle, his faith muscle was tested and it was strengthened was not out on the battlefield. It was actually in his home, with his family. The very night, the same night that he had that encounter with God, God gave him a directive. <clears throat> and it's this. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asher pole standing beside it. And then build an altar to the Lord, your God, here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asher pole you cut down. You know, part of the process of making Gideon a hero was having his faith tested and his willingness to obey God at home. He had to deal with the sin in his home. Now, Gideon's father, the patriarch of the family, had idols. Now, it's not like, like our perception is, you know, our father maybe lives next province over or maybe across the world or maybe just down the street. But in Gideon's day, it would have been a family complex. They all would have lived together. And so the fact that his father had idols would have meant that the whole family was involved in that. This was a family event. The family had an altar to Baal. And Joash had allowed the influence of the culture around him to enter his family. Joash came from a godly heritage, not a pagan heritage, but he allowed the worship of pagan gods into his home. Now, before we get all self-righteous and say, well, at least I don't have a Baal altar in my home, let's take a look at what this would look like when we go home to our houses today. What gets our affections? What gets our time, our resources? Do we bow down to the God of money, to the God of work, to the God of relaxation? Do we cheer more loudly on, maybe I shouldn't say this as Father said, I'll say it. Do we cheer more loudly when our favorite team wins a big trophy than we do when somebody comes to Christ? Do we spend more time surfing the net? or watching TV than we do reading our Bibles, serving our neighbors, or even loving our kids. Now, I don't want you to say, oh man, she's sure legalistic. I don't want to brush up on that again. But you know, when I was studying this this week, God said, put the mirror up in front of me. It made me realize, you know what? I have idols. I have wasted time 
every day this week, squandering precious moments on worthless things like social media? What idols in your lives and in our homes need to be torn down? If God is going to make us into a hero that God can use to do great things, then we need to follow the example of Gideon and tear down our own personal idols and those that are affecting the family. I think it's really important to note here that Gideon was not the head of the family. You know, in these patriarchal society, Joash was the head of the family. But it was as a subordinate that Gideon still obeyed God, and it was a mighty, risky step for him. Let's read what happens when Gideon obeys God and tears down these idols. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. (laughs) All we really need to hear is that. But Scripture gives us a bit more detail. He says, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asher pole beside it had been cut down. And in their place, a new altar had been built. And on it were remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asher pole. Do you see a little bit of mutiny and rebel going on here? But Joash, not Gideon, Joash, shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death this morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. And from then on, Gideon was called Jeroboam, which means let Baal defend himself. I love the sarcasm in that. Let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Gideon's actions had a profound effect on the spiritual trajectory of his entire family and his community. (coughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care what your age is, what your birth order is, what your unspoken position in your family is, don't hold back from doing what God is calling you to do. I love the verse from 1 Timothy 4.12 where the old man Paul, the Paul the Apostle, says to his young Young disciple Timothy, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers, not just your peers, all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. doesn't matter how old you are. We all have influence. I recently heard a father um, congratulating his son on his university um, education and his convocation. And his father, I was touched when his father said to his son, this is a 55-year-old father saying to his 22-year-old son, the example of your life is one I want to follow. Those of us that are old, may we have that kind of humility to follow the good examples around us. You can have a huge impact on your family. 
You know, a dear friend of mine grew up in a non-believing home with a father who was very antagonistic towards God. She came to Christ as a young woman in her 20s. She prayed and prayed for her family, especially for her father. Her father repeatedly told her, Christians are the bane of my life. And it was within that, that environment that she kept praying and she kept loving and she kept sharing about the difference that Jesus was making in her life. Her father's reaction was always one of anger towards her and towards God, but she kept loving and she kept praying. Only weeks before her 91-year-old father passed away, he accepted Christ. God used her obedience to change the heart of her father. Now, besides having an altar to Baal, Joash also had an Asher pole. Asher was the goddess of fertility. In essence, what he had was a sex shrine in his home. It was the worship of Ashura that led to the common practice, pagan practice of temple prostitution and eventually sexual orgies that were so common in both the Old Testament and the Greek society of the New Testament. So let's make this real to us in 2017. How has our sexual practice not only impacted our life, for the life of our family? How has it fallen outside of God's design? God has designed us as sexual beings and he's designed that to be expressed beautifully between one woman and one man within the confines of marriage. Where are there practices in your family that give evidence that you have Asher poles and they're influencing your family? What TV shows do you watch? What's your history on Netflix? What books do you read? Do they create sexual fantasy? Do you just browse when you're on the computer? Do you seek out sexual stimulation from pornography? Now I wanna emphasize, I am not bringing up the topic of pornography today because this is Father's Day because I firmly believe that pornography is not just an issue for men. Women are actually becoming addicted to pornography almost at the same rate that women are, I mean that men are. Recently, Journey Canada, an organization, it's actually a partner organization here at Center Street, um, that exists to help people find hope and life through Jesus in their sexuality, in their relationships, in their identity. Journey Canada recently did an anonymous survey at a church, a Christian church, large Christian church here in Calgary, not Center Street, but it could have been. And in this survey of high school students, they asked the question, have you feared that you were becoming addicted to looking at pornography? So these are Calgary kids going to a church here. Here's the stats that responded. Guys, 44% say, yeah, I fear that I am becoming addicted. Girls, 39%. We have a problem. We've allowed Asher poles to stay erected in our homes and it's ruining our marriages, it's ruining our kids, it's ruining our society. If God is going to work through us as he did through Gideon, we need to be obedient 
to pull down the altars of the false gods, cut away the sexual sin, and build an altar to the Most High God. Only He is worthy of our worship. Only He is worthy of our devotion. We need to be ruthless, ruthless to eradicate the sin in our lives for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our biological families, whether that's immediate or extended, and for the sake of our spiritual families. And when the Holy Spirit tells us to go and deal with a sin in ourselves or with those around us, may we have the humility of spirit to say, yes, Lord. I think it's noteworthy that Gideon did not go to his father and say, you're a sinner. You need to turn from your wicked ways. (laughs) No, actually, he just followed God's directive to simply go get rid of the idols. And the outcome God softened Joash's heart, and the whole community was impacted. You know, I think there's probably some of you, and I've had this thought too, they're thinking, you don't know my family. (laughs) Man, if I was to follow Gideon's lead and throw out the TV in the middle of the night, there'd be mutiny. They'd kill me. I'd be the laughing stock of my family. Can you just imagine driving down your street, and every, every driveway has a has a uh, TV on it that's been smashed and broken. Not even free, because you don't want to give it away. Just smash it up. It's pretty radical. We'd be afraid to do that, aren't we? Was Gideon afraid? Yeah, he did it at night. But you know what? He did it. (laughs) He didn't let fear hold him back from doing what God had called him to. You see, a hero does, being a hero doesn't mean that you don't have any fear. A hero has courage, and courage is doing what is needed despite fear. Heroes will risk or sacrifice their own safety or well-being in order to uphold a greater value. Often we think of this, you know, in terms of rescuing somebody from a fire or, you know, performing valiant acts of bravery. But maybe... Your, maybe my call to be a hero is to rid our lives, our families, of the idols and the poles in our homes. And this leads to my second point. Heroes do what's right, even in the face of fear. If God is prompting you to confront sin in your own life or in your sphere of influence, don't be a coward. Be a hero. Now, I have two examples from my own life. One where I was a coward, and one where I did the tough thing. The first story I'm not proud of makes me sad when I think about it. I was mentoring a young couple, and they were in love, and you could see the relationship was heating up fast. And I remember the conversation very, very clearly where we were talking about the relationship, and I sensed the Holy Spirit say to me, ask her how they're doing in their physical relationship. Ask them if they are continuing to pursue sexual purity in their relationship. And the thought, when that thought came into my mind, my initial response was, no way, that is way too risky. She won't like me, she could get angry. I might even be putting thoughts into her mind, like, really, Rosemary? I'm See how, how we rationalize this? But I was just, I seized up. And in that split second, I know I grieved the Holy Spirit when I said, no, I will not do that. That is too risky. I kind of tried to appease myself by saying, oh, but I'll pray for them. 
Six weeks later, I was having a conversation with that same young woman, and she told me that her and her boyfriend were pregnant. Oh, I knew I had let God down. I don't know what effect that question, if I had asked her, would have had. I just know that I was not obedient to God. I was protecting myself more than I loved that young couple that day. Now, another example, I was talking with a young woman. We were talking about ministry. And the thought, and I had never thought about this in terms of this young woman, the thought came to me, ask her if she's had an abortion. And again, I was like, whoa, no, uh-uh. You do not go around asking women if they've had abortions. That is not something you do. No. But the Holy Spirit just kept at me. And this all happens in a split second. You know what that's like, right? It may feel like it's a 10-minute conversation with God, but it actually happens all very quickly. And I, at that moment, I was as if God said to me, do you trust me that I've prepared her? And I'm like, I don't know about this, God. So like Gideon, with fear and trepidation, I said, yes. So I turned to this young woman and I said to her, I'm just wondering, have you ever had an abortion? And I was ready for the onslaught. I was ready for her to, you know, oh, how could you say, how could you even think that? And instead she turned to me and her eyes quickly welling up with tears and she said, yeah. I have. And I've been praying that God would show me somebody I could tell so that I could get some help. So I could get over this shame and regret that I carry every day. She went on to going to the Calgary Pregnancy Care Center, going through their Living in Color program and finding freedom, finding forgiveness. And she's now going through training to help other women. Was I a hero that day? Oh, I don't want the title. Uh -uh, none of us want the title. It's not about being called a hero. But when we are obedient to follow God's directive, and in doing so, people's lives are changed, then we're living out God's calling on our lives, and we are becoming all that we were created to be. Let's also remember that when we are obedient, we are doing this for his glory. You know, when I asked that woman if she'd had an abortion, I wasn't doing it with the motivation that someday I'd have a great story to tell when I was preaching at Center Street. No. The idea was God-initiated. And I was willing to put aside my own sense of self-protection out of love for her. Heroes learn to trust and respond to God's initiative. Heroes do what's right even in the face of fear. Heroes are always motivated by love. You know, we can do great things, but if we're not motivated by love for God and our love for our neighbor, it's nothing. Look at these verses from what's known as the love chapter. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't that be heroic? But I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I gave up everything, I'd be heroic. I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. If our motivation is self-promotion or the need to be right, 
we won't have accomplished anything. And we certainly won't have provided any glory for God. But if our action comes out of love, then we're well on our way to being a hero. You know, we all heard and watched in horror the pictures that came out of London this week as the Grenfell Tower went up in flame and smoke. Yesterday, the, as of yesterday, the, the death count was 58. What a horrific event to be part of. I want to read to you a brief article from the London Telegraph. A heroic son carried on his back his disabled mother as he battled his way from the top of the burning tower block all the way down the stairs to the bottom. He needed to get her out quickly. He took her arms, took her arms and put them around his neck and he carried her over his back down all 24 floors. A friend of the family is quoted, he's a hero. In the chaos, all the screaming and shouting, he picked up his mother and carried her down from the very top floor. He sprinted with her down the stairs the whole way. I just don't know how he did it. He must have summoned the strength somehow in the moment. Shechab, the name of the son, is described as the most loving and caring man, a strong young boy who loves his family more than anything. You know what this reminds me of? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's ultimate act of love. And the ultimate hero is Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus. I don't want the title of a hero, but I want to have the character of a hero. I want to have the character of my Lord because he's the greatest hero of all time. And that's why he's worthy of all praise and all glory. You know, all examples, human examples of heroism will fall short at some time. And the most heroic person that you've ever known at some point would, would let you down. If it was me, I would let you down. You would let me down. And you know what? Even our biblical story of Gideon lets us down. I find it very interesting that at the end of the account of Gideon's life, he's known as a great warrior. The people love him. They want him to be king. And he turns the people back to look to God. That's good. But then he gives in to the pull of materialism and enjoying the spoils of his victories. He collects golden earrings from the people and he makes an ephod or an object and puts it in his own hometown, the very place where he had torn down the altar to Baal and cut up the Asher pole. <sighs> Same place. And this is what the writer tells us occurred in Judges 8. Soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it. And it became a trap to Gideon and his family. You know what I take away from this? <clears throat> I take away a personal warning. I am never too old. I am never beyond falling into the trap of sin. Let's flip that to an encouragement. Let's never slacken off. Grandmas and grandpas, 
the younger generation need you to stay true to your faith. You know, you may not be physically active or involved in ministry or out there, you know, fighting the battles of the world, but we need you to help us fight the spiritual battles. We need you praying for us. We need you encouraging us. We need you mentoring and showing us a way. If you get drawn into sin, as Gideon did, it will impact the next generation of your family, community, and the world. Let's finish well. Let's not let the things that we accumulate, whether that's comforts or awards, the praises of people, let's not let them dull or distract us from the desire to do what's right, to follow after God, to be a hero. You know, heroes are not born. Gideon started out pretty ordinary. Heroes are made. Heroes are raised up through the calling that God places on their life. Heroes are made when they choose to respond in faith and obedience. Heroes are made when they make sacrificial choices that put others ahead of themselves instead of staying safe. Heroes love, love God, and love others. Will you be a hero? Will you step forward and go in to say, Lord, I actually want to go into hero training. I want to be led. I want to be taught by you. I want to have, I want to move out of the ordinary and I want to move towards your character, the character of being a hero. And you know what? You've got what it takes. You know why? Because God has said, I am with you. I am with you. He will come in his strength and his power and will make you. Please stand with me. For our benediction, I'd like to read these words from the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Just an ordinary people who are following hard after God. And may this be our prayer today as we close. I pray, that for his, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you. Empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide... How long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within you, to accomplish infinitely more, not just a little bit, infinitely more that we might ask or think. And all glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless you this week. 
bless you with courage to move forward, bless you with all that you are going to need to be the person he's calling you to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go and say thank you to a hero that's around you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.